Welcome to Off the Deep End with Keegan Weatherford. This week, I got my buddy Austin Wofford on. Hey, everybody. We're going to be talking about Arise Church, and this is something that I'm super excited about. If me and Dre weren't moving to the Northwest, we would 100% be fully engaged, and um, be, we'd be all about this. So Austin is a buddy of mine that I met through a guy named Charlie Gullett, and he is one of my friends that I feel like I've got a few friends. I'm like, man, I don't know why they hang out with me because they're a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> but Austin reads a ton and he's actually written a book. What's the name of your book? So the name will probably end up changing, but uh, for now the working title is Forged Family. Forged Family. Yeah. And I'm in a little tussle with the publishers about what the name is going to be. But oh, yeah, man. but it's about the power of family-like community for emerging generations. So that's that's what I'm aiming at with Forge Family is the idea of a kind of non-biological family that is bonded together through trial and hardship and shared struggles. So people 18 to 30 years old trying to get established as as adults yeah. and how Christian community can help uh, build build them into strong people and uh, can really bring healing in those years. I want to read it. That's awesome. So I'm really excited. We're just going to chat. This is essentially recorded for the Arise Church group, but I'll, I might just post it depending on where we land and what we talk about. I'm sure it's going to be relevant to to people that are wanting to listen to the random stuff that I chit chat about. So um, yeah, Austin's a great dude and we're going to just get into it. So how'd this come about? How to Arise Church get rolling? What, what started this? Yeah. Well, first I've got to say, Keegan, uh, I wish you weren't moving. So, like I keep saying, I'm happy for you, but I'm sad for me. So we're going to miss uh, having you enjoy around, doing things like this. But um, Arise Church, you know, it's amazing that, that we even can call it Arise at this point. I mean, it's just felt like such a journey to having something like a name. And the journey for Maddie and I, had, it's really been a process of years. I think we came to the realization that God was asking us to, to plant a church, or at least we were being led or, or had the impression that planting a church was the right move for this time. That came about in, in February. And it's been kind of a culmination of a couple years of, of journeying for the two of us. And, um, and so that realization came in February, but then obviously a pandemic hit in March. Yeah. And so it's just been kind of a crazy past few months to get to this point. So this is the beginning of August and we are looking to try and get groups or home churches off the ground in late August, early September. And so planting, planting in a pandemic is just wild. And so people have kept asking, well, how did you, how did you come to this point? And uh, why would you plant during a pandemic or why would you try to start a church you know, during this time, because it's very counterintuitive. People can't, people can't meet, you know, churches aren't even meeting. Most things are, are digital. There's not a lot of um, people meeting in person in any capacity. So it's a little, uh, it's a little crazy to try and actually start a church during this time. But we think that that's part of the story that God has written for us. We think that's part of this, the story of, um, it's going to be very, very important for this church for, for years and decades to come. And we think that God's hand is, has been in all of this. So I guess to really um, explain how we ended up 
thinking about starting a church planting net or, or home church network uh, in the middle of a pandemic in August of 2020, we really kind of have to go back a couple years. And really, this is interwoven into the story of, of the book as well. But Maddie and I spent about 10 years on college campus um, ministering with students, had a great time at a, a ministry at the University of Kentucky where we interacted with a lot of millennials, which eventually turned into Gen Z and kind of grew up alongside these college students. And over the course of that decade, we saw a lot of shifts happen in the lives of emerging adults, just the average population. Um, we saw changes and shifts happen that I think the church was was maybe not addressing in full. You know, just issues around sexuality, issues around uh, loneliness. I think the mental health epidemic was yeah. something that has has really stood out as a major development of the last 10 years. Um, the transition from in-person interaction to digital interaction, the um, the uptick in just addic- addiction issues, like whether that's sexual addiction um, or, you know, drug and alcohol addiction um, or tech technology addiction, sort of s- screen addiction. There were just, there have been a lot of issues. And when you're talking about... Um, when you're talking about spirituality as well, there's certainly been a downshift in spiritual engagement over the last decade as well. So students just generally, I think, less aware of um, of, of scripture, so less biblically literate. Um, definitely less less people going to church now than there was a decade ago, and I think overall less cultural Christianity that people are growing up in and being shaped by. You know, even in a place like Lexington, Kentucky in 2020, it would be surprising to me if there was, you know, 20% of the campus at the university that was going to church. So we're just watching all these shifts, and it kind of got us asking some questions about what does it look like to be relevant, and not relevant from the position of a stage or from, um, you know, feel or aesthetic. So not playing the right music, not... um, having clean videos, the types of things that maybe we would think of of relevancy in church or what's been sold out. Not not like having Ed Sheeran, you know, cover cover songs on a Sunday morning, but what does it look like to actually have the conversations, to understand the culture that people are being raised in, and especially thinking about the internet and digital culture. Um, people are being being raised in um, regardless of their physical location, um, they're being affected by wider global uh, culture that that has a lot to do with, um, you know, progressive social and moral vision and values. So what does it look like to, to meet and reach and form people in that context? And that sent us on a, on a search. Yeah. It's almost like we're in such a disconnected culture with being on social media you're not actually you're talking with people but you're extremely distant and you could say what you want and all this stuff it's almost like you have to hit that with the opposite yeah. force which is just really good solid depth and relationship totally totally yeah i think that social media is kind of the junk food of intimacy it's like you can intake a thousand messages a day and right. still be relationally lonely there's an exact correlation between the amount of time that you spend online and your dissatisfaction with life yeah i mean just that in itself that that yeah. social media companies are selling deep connection 
But in reality, what's happening is it's cheap interaction. It's flighty interaction. It's what people need is, is stuff like this, face-to-face, eye-to-eye. There's something about the ministry of presence. Mm. You know, it's sort of like I can talk about God. I can have theories about God, but an experience with the presence right. and the person of God is transformative. Sure. And I think it's the same thing for, for us. And that, that's what we noticed. We spent a lot of last year uh, traveling and touring with our good friend David Thomas. And David's done a lot of work on awakening. So the historical perspective of what does it look like to pray for a move of God that could change your culture and society. And, and we spent time touring, and that involved a lot of listening because it was a lot of prayer. It was a lot of what we did was around prayer. So we ended up praying with you know, hundreds, if not thousands of emerging adults and church leaders across the Southeast. We're in 30 different locations, 20 different campuses. So we really got our fingers on the pulse of what was going on um, in, among people who are in the church. And really, it felt like we were sitting in a therapist chair for a lot of that. And it's the exact type of issue of what you just brought up with loneliness and connection. The thing that we kept hearing over and over and over was, I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. I have issues with my friends, my parents. Um, I'm I feel broken sexually. I feel addicted, and a lot of that I think had this sort of edge of of technology. I think people are just hungry for for real relationship. Um, I think people are are relationally starved, and so we came out of that loneliness and disconnection had to have been the number one thing that we heard across the board. You know, as we sat in our therapist chair, prayed for people kind of took 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 the pulse of emerging generations, what we heard over and over and over was, I'm lonely, um, I don't feel connected, I feel like I'm adrift at sea, having to make a lot of major decisions about my life, and I have no anchors in, in people or in God of which I can hold on to and help direct me through sort of the turmoil of, you know, my 20s. Right. What do you feel like God was saying to push you? I know there's like, there's some practical stuff. Obviously God speaks through common sense and practicalities, but also there's like supernatural things where he'll, yeah, you know, how, how, what, where did that play into this too? Yeah. So I think over the years people had asked us to, to plant, you know, mm-hmm. planting a church was something that came up over and over and over. And I think for most leaders in the church with the way that, sort of denominations are, are drifting apart and some of the flux and, and chaos that's happening with, within the church itself and the traditional church structures, it's, it's led to a need for many, many, many more churches. So church planning, we're just not going to plant enough fast enough. So, so people had kind of asked over the years, are you interested in planting? And we'd always said no. I mean, we felt too young, maybe too inexperienced. But we really came to a point during the course of last year as we were networking with these ministries across the country, as we were hearing the stories, that there was a vision for renewal that sort of arose out of that time. And we ended up going to a couple different locations of what we considered to be the hardest-reached places in the, in the West. So we ended up in Los Angeles, we ended up in London, and did tours of, of England and California and connected with pastors from, you know, New York, where 
we were just wondering, what does it look like to have successful ministry? And by successful, I mean, you're actually reaching and forming new Christians in the toughest to reach places in the West, in the most secular, in the most uh, hardened ground right. that we could think of in our culture. What does it look like to reach and form people? And so connecting with those pastors and getting a vision for that, we, we went to a place like uh, King's Cross Church in London and saw Pete Hughes. And they have, you know, something like 70 or 80 per- percent participation uh, from people who are in their church on a Sunday morning who are in small groups and they're exploding. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. And the same is true for, we went and visited a church called garden in Los Angeles and a guy named Darren there has a church and they recently transitioned to a a largely house church format and they're having amazing success with actually reaching and forming new Christians. Um, One of the pivotal moments for us over the course of, of the last year was getting to spend time with John Tyson. So we had a couple of days where we were with John um, and had a lot of good sort of two-on-one time, uh, me and Maddie did. And Maddie sort of threw out, threw out, hey, we think that God's forming this vision for church in our lives. What do you think about this uh, church planting? And John addressed it and especially from from the need and position, this is a guy who is a church planner in New York City and is having, I think, a, a substantial impact both in the city and regionally and across the country. And Maddie asked him, we feel, she said, we feel too young. We feel too young to church plant. And I think this was the biggest thing that was kind of holding us back. And John told her, he laughed and he said, you're not too young, you're too old. And, and how old are you guys? Yeah, I'm 32. Right. And Maddie's 27. Right. And I think he's being maybe a little gregarious. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe a little you know exaggerative, but uh, but there's something about that that's, that's sort of shifted. So there are these little shifts of seeing pictures of people who are doing it well, realizing that we're probably in a sweet spot of time, having encouragement from leaders to just go do it. That. When our ministry contract ended last year, we looked at Lexington, Kentucky, and we'd been on this journey of pursuing awakening, renewal in the church and in emerging generations. And we just asked the question, where does it where does it make sense to pursue that? And so knowing there are couples like you and Dre in the city, our friends like the Gullets, the Thomases, um, along with many others, we just thought, okay, you know, Lexington's not New York. Lexington's not Los Angeles, it's not London. But I think that there's a real chance and opportunity here that if we are able to build sort of spirit-filled families in, in home churches and present a picture of what vibrant spiritual life and community can look like, charismatic life that's also anchored in truth, then I think there's an opportunity to really have an impact in this city, you know, and then the state as well, because there's nothing, I don't think, in Kentucky that sort of looks like what we're trying to do. So while it's not one of these um, bright and shining, uh, you know, urban, sprawling urban cities, we think that God has positioned us and certain groups of friends who are like, like-minded and like, like-hearted here in Lexington, Kentucky to, um, to really bond together. We think that we can have uh, a really special impact on, on the city and on the, in, in the state especially. Right. So one thing I love about you guys um, is the fact that you're not like trying to yank people from other churches or anything like that. You're like, we're going to let God do what he's going to do. And something um, that I wanted to ask you that 
I thought was cool too is what happened when you talked to Kurt Vernon, like the pastor that, of the church you guys are going to about this? What did he say? Yeah. Yeah. So Kurt, and, and that's another one of the God, these God things is it took us a couple months after our ministry contract ended in December. So it was January and February of, of 2020. We asked the question, what is, what is God calling us to do? And we came to the conclusion, we think he's asking us to start a church here in Lexington, Kentucky. And so we told our friends, we told our families, and we were at Commonwealth City Church, which is an amazing church. And yeah. and I love Kurt and Andrew, who are the pastors there. And we went to them, and it was a Monday afternoon, and we met with them and said, hey, we believe that God's asking us to start a church, and we believe that God's asking us to start in the homes. And they responded uh, so, I felt so honored by the way they responded. They said, well, you're no longer welcome at the church because uh, we're going to ensure and make sure that you're following the call of God in your life. They basically said, we've been waiting for you to do this for a while now, and you're kicked out. And Ann Kurt said, take all our best people and all our best resources yeah, and go and do this thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, and, and an amazing God thing about that is we, we told them, hey, we think we're going to start a church in the home. And then a week later, pandemic hit. Right. And all the churches were shut down across the state. And so everyone was in the home. And so it's just funny how God works, has worked in these supernatural moments that we felt led to plant a church this year in the homes. And it's literally impossible to plant a church in any other fashion or format. I mean, you can't have a service. Right. Um, you're not going to get people in, in a group and you wouldn't even want to get people in a large group. So it's really made us think about trying to flip the traditional church planning model on its head where it's like you gather a large group on Sunday, your initial launch Sunday, you, you fly your neighborhoods, you do campaigns online, you have, um, you, you know, just out, outrageous outreach events, try and get a thousand people on in church on your first Sunday and then, um, and then just go from there. So this, this is just not possible. Right. So if you're going to start something, it's got to be in the home. So it's just amazing the timing of God. Yeah. And I love it's just a beautiful picture of faith. If someone's like, well, how does faith look like? How does faith play out in life? It's like, well, here's a pastor. And I would, I mean, this sounds judgmental, but I know that there's a decent amount of churches across the world where the pastor is trying to control things. Oh, don't go here. Why'd you go there on Sunday? You're supposed to just be at our church. And I've seen that even a couple weeks ago with a friend of mine where there's this possessive trying to control in yeah. the flesh. And and it's just cool to see a pastor be like, you go and take whoever you need, even our best leaders. It's going to be great because they're trusting. Kurt yeah. is trusting what God will continue to do in his church. Yeah. And you guys are like, we're just going to, we're not going to force anybody. We're not, we're just going to, you know, pray about who we should even mention yeah. this to and see what God does with an open, you know, yeah. we've, we've been accused of being secretive and you know, someone like church, like Kurt and, and Andrew, the pastors at Commonwealth city, I do think that there's a younger generation of church pastors that are sort of recognizing the need is, is greater that it's not people. Churches now aren't trying to pull from a pie of believers. Like it's not like there's this huge pool of believers that we're all trying to compete for. I think we're recognizing that there's a need for true, genuine humility and that there's a generation. I think millennial and Gen Z leadership in the church is going to look dis distinctly humble. And I think it's going to look distinctly unified across denominations, worship traditions, um, church lines. There's a lot of reaching across the aisle because uh, because we, we need it. You know, we're not at a point to where we can kind of sit in our silos and 
think of church as a competition. Right. Um, we have to think of, of church as how do we equip and assist and empower each other. And that takes humility. That takes generosity. Um, you can't be territorial when you, when you have that mindset. And I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's going to be a strong push of, of leadership in that dir- direction for our generation. They're just humble, unified, encouraging, generous, and, and it's going to have to be faith-filled. Right. And that, I mean, that's all the Bible has mentioned of church. It's been university at its true, true sense that there's unity in the midst of diversity. Yeah. You know, the, you could be in this culture, you can worship the way that your culture is worshiping, yet still have these foundational truths about who Jesus is and, and like still love and encourage, oh my gosh, I love what that church is doing and not be yeah. like, oh my gosh, that's not what we're doing. And uh-uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. The lines have really been redrawn. You know, I think the important things have been have have really drilled down to does Jesus represent God in truth to you? Right. And as culture becomes less and less accommodating for that core belief of Christianity, I think people are having to, you know, Arminius, Calvinist, even sort of like cessationist and spirit filled. Um, there's a lot of reaching across across the aisle to just link around sort of core truths. Does scripture hold authority for our lives? Does Jesus represent God and does he represent truth? Um, so I think the battle the battle lines for culture have sort of been redrawn. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and we're, we're having to link together. What, what do you think, um, for someone listening that maybe doesn't have a ton of experience with, with church in general, what is the difference between a house church? If they were to go to like some larger church in Lexington or anywhere else versus... Yeah a house church. What are you going to see? What is going to be, what are some unique things? You know, there's some good and bad things that'll come with it like anything, but what? Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about the need for community. Um, that was a lot of what really went into us thinking about the home church was the idea of church as family. You know, in most of the traditional styles of church, um, especially in the churches that have been larger and had a decent number of sick, what we would think about like business success, it's really been on the backs of a, of a church model. Kind of, you think about the attractional church model, it's ended up collecting people to watch professionals on a Sunday morning. So your church experience at sort of a larger attractional church or just kind of the standard evangelical church model for today is you show up on a Sunday morning for an hour to sit in the dark with a loosely associated group of people that you probably don't see from Monday to Saturday and that's your Christian experience, is an hour of what really gets boiled down to content consumption. And so when you look at the stagnation of the American church or you know, how the church is, is sort of losing people um, in, in, in mass, it really makes sense to me that that would be happening because uh, the entirety of the Christian experience has been boiled down to once a week sort of consumption. So house church, again, sort of flips that on its head. And when you look at the global church, and I'll get into kind of a, a definition of house church, but but the global church runs a house church model. And there is not the stagnation of the American church in the global south. Places like China, India um, are growing by hundreds of thousands every year. Um, there will probably be 100 million Christians in both of those countries in my lifetime. Places like I, the church in Iran is growing by hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands every year. Um, in Africa, there will be more Christians by 2050 on the continent of Africa than America will have people in total. So there will be more Christians in Africa than America will have population. So the gospel is not stagnant. 
it's just in our location. But you look at the places where the gospel is exploding, where there's expansive growth of Christian faith and, and the glory of Jesus, and you're going to see a house church model. And basically what it looks like is groups of, groups of less than 50 meeting in homes. And it's localized pastors. It's, it's non-professional leaders who are leading these churches. Um, there's a strong emphasis on prayer and on gifts of the Spirit. So all-night prayer, prayer gatherings, prayer and fasting. There's a strong emphasis on evangelism. There's a strong emphasis on uh, really a theologically conservative vision of Scripture, which is to say that we believe the Bible is true and we believe that it holds authority in our lives. And there's formation in community. So it's really tight-knit, family-like community in homes that are pursuing God deeply together, that are right. passionate about uh, prayer, evangelism, um, multiplication of in, of disciples. So they're disciple-making communities where people come in, new Christians can come in, and then they're, they're hit from all different relationships of people helping them grow up in their faith. And this has been expansive and explosive uh, form of Christianity, and that's that's the church of Acts. You look at this at Scripture, the early church, and and you see that same sort of thing. It's groups of twenty five to sixty, probably in the homes. Right. Yeah, and uh, people being raised up in their giftings, an emphasis on uh, prayer uh, and a desperation for God, the spiritual spiritual gifts, the charismatic gifts, a multiplication of disciples, family like community extreme uh, generosity, radical hospitality, bringing people in, deeply forming them in, in family, and then um, just continuing to multiply that out through prayer and miracles. So that, that's house church for us. Is House church is a spirit-filled family that lives, that practices the way of Jesus and lives on mission together. Right. And so... You know, just very practically, it's kind of taking a Sunday morning experience in what you would have in traditional church and sort of, like he's saying, flipping that on its head in a way where the movements are really from observation on a Sunday morning to participation in the home. It's an elevation of the gifts of the individuals in the house. So we're saying not how can you come and consume and give to make sure that these programs keep running, but we're asking the question with the house churches, how do we give to people in the homes? How do we help build them into their gifts? How do we help them become interdependent? How do we help them be activated in their faith? So it's sort of where where everyone is um, sort of brought to one point on a Sunday morning, and that's the entirety of the Christian experience. We want to f- we want to flush people back in the homes, back in the neighborhoods, back in the workplace. We want to see them spirit empowered. We want to see them raised up in their giftings, and we think that that has this sort of movemental potential, even though it's small, to have a wide scale impact. But you can't have control. You have to let it be a wildfire to a certain extent. And so uh, we want to be fire sparkers. Right. And and so I think that's a general shift from observation participation. That's awesome. We're going to take a minute to um, talk about our sponsors, Tesla and Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wish I had Tesla as a sponsor and I drove around one of those fancy cars. Yeah, man. I Yeah, I do too. Um, what would I, be another amazing sponsor? Um, I don't know. I'd take a, let's see. Super Aeronautique. Thanks, Super Aeronautique. <laughs> I love my G23 Paragon. <laughs> G25 Paragon. That's what I'd want. You know, Keegan, to be fair, I think at this point, um, the, the cold shower guy deserves to give you some, 
some money. What's his? What's oh, that Wim guy? Hoff? Wim I don't Hoff, even yeah. know that he cares to make money. He just wants people to be healthy. And yeah. he wants to stick a middle finger up to like disease and sickness. Yeah. Which makes me happy. <laughs> but how about, there's something that pops in my head is, is with house church, it looks as though if you were to walk into Procter and Gamble or some, or Apple or some very big established corporation and you were going to go work for them. Yeah. Like you're only going to be doing a small part and, yeah. and, and everything's already set up. But if you were to go be a part of a um, startup company, where there's like three or four people, like you might be going and getting the mail. You might be delivering something. Yeah. You might be, you know, responding to emails. You're going to be in the nitty gritty and you're going to start to find out, okay, am I good at managing people? Am I good with confrontation? Mm-hmm. Am I good with numbers and logistics? Yeah. What are my giftings? Yeah. And how does that, and you'll see that. And I think that's the cool thing I've loved about smaller settings. Cause we, there was a church in town that um, me and Dre were helping out with and we, for a season, brought it to the building that we're in now. And instead of there being however many people in a large building, we had just, you know, probably 20 people here. And in the middle of a sermon, someone could be like, well, wh- wh- hold on. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? I'm not sure what you meant by that. Mm-hmm. And we get to do that. And then, or or like, we would talk about hearing God's voice. And yeah. instead of being like, all right, amen, thanks, everybody. See you <laughs> next week. It was like we were able to say, okay. We're going to pick one person, you know, we'll, we'll pick this guy named Josh. Everyone's going to pray for him and you're going to listen and, and we're going to tell him what you feel like God's saying. And yeah. this is a safe environment. If you say something that is not from God and you're just off, we can say, you know, I don't really feel like yeah. that's what he's saying. That doesn't resonate with me and what I'm going through. Or you'll be like, holy crap, that is a hundred percent what I needed to hear. You yeah. know? Yeah. No. And that's a beautiful thing. And you look at you look at scripture and you look at the experience of the early church. And I think one of the reasons that people are a little wary of something like trying to activate young Christians in the charismatic gifts, you know, I think there's a fear around things like what if um, what if someone who's really young in their faith and doesn't know scripture to the extent that you know someone with an, a master of divinity uh, does? What if they're trying to interpret scripture? What if they're trying to hear from God and they're giving prophetic messages? Um, what if they're trying to lead, you know, if you remove community, all of a sudden that does become scary. But if you bring around spiritual mothers and fathers, if you bring around organic, but intentional accountability around those things, all of a sudden there's a safety net. And that's what you see in scripture. It's, it's people being brought in, um, prayed over for, for the filling of the Holy spirit, um, and then released into gifting. Um, but there are all sorts of nets. You know, they had the te- they had the the teaching of the apostles. They had the community for accountability. You look at the letters of Paul, and he is basically managing conflict kind of around those same issues. Hey, we think the the uses of the even the First Corinthians uh, twelve in where he's talking about order and worship. He's talking about order and worship because the use of the charismatic gifts has gotten a little out of hand. Right. Uh, it's been a little disorderly. And so those are the exact issues that you're talking about. But if you, it, it, with community and with scripture as, as anchors or safety nets, then you can, you can really empower young believers to do the things that God's called them to do. But if you remove either of those nets, then all of a sudden I think it, it does become kind of a scary thing. And I think that's, that's where most of the church is at, is there's an absence of community and there's also an absence of biblical literacy. Right. And leadership. It seems like there's only a few people doing all the work and everyone else is like 
just sitting back and watching. And it's like, oh, you, you want to hear about Jesus or you want someone to talk yeah. to or you need someone to counsel you or you need, oh, you want to give your life to Jesus. Well, let me get you set up with my pastor. It's like we're all designed yeah. to be able yeah. to counsel. Not, I mean, anyways, there, there's things that can be out of our scope of practice in yeah. that realm. But I've, I've walked, I've seen five guys walk out of suicide. Wow. You know what I mean? I'm not a counselor. But if, if no one if someone had said, No, 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 you need to talk to the pastor, yep. they would have hit, talked to some pastor who's possibly overbooked, mm-hmm. trying to micromanage a, a, a large church, and then they've been like, I'll talk to you in two months and they'd have thirty minutes with him. And by then no. they could be like, I don't I, I'm not like God was doing something in the moment. Yeah. And it was hard to capitalize on what God was doing and stirring up. You've you've missed the moment, and I think that that really is kind of a strength of house church. And and I don't think house church is the perfect model. I don't think it's a perfect way of doing church. I'm not angry at at former modes. Oh, you're angry. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm full. Of, I'm full of rage. Yeah, I'm not upset at, at traditional forms of church, but you just think about those sorts of dynamics, and it's like, it's like, can there be past? You know, in the fivefold gifting, can there be pastors in in the house churches? Like designated, we have trained and equipped. Um, the leadership of the house church is trained to equip pastors, and you can do that across the board to to pastor people within the home, to take a, to take the care and the shepherding responsibilities. You can do that across with a, with you know all the fivefold gifting and then beyond. Can there be hospitality leaders that are trained and empowered? Can there be uh, apostolic leaders who are trained and empowered? The same thing with um, evangelists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, per, the prophets, I mean, across the board with the giftings, you can train and empower people to fill their roles who aren't professionals. And one of the things I really love about, so Dr. Alvarez, who's a Cuban-American uh, church planner here in town, he came from a revival culture in Cuba. Cuba church, the Cuban church is, is on fire. And he's told us that anyone, who, any new Christian who comes to him and says, I want to be a church planner, I want to be a leader in your church, he looks at them and says, okay, tell me, who are you sharing the gospel with? This is off the bat. Yeah. Who are you sharing the gospel with? And that's their standard. And if, if they're not sharing the gospel from the start of their, their faith, then he feels like leadership in the church is probably not part of their calling, which is just crazy. I mean, the standards for, for that is very, very high. But then going and watching something like the Sheep Among Wolves documentary. Oh, yeah. They, their discipleship model is before you're even a Christian, you're evangelizing. Before you're even, and that's the fastest growing church in the world. Yeah. Through women in yeah. Iran. Through women in Iran. I love it. So yeah. Cool. If you haven't seen that, Sheep Among Wolves Volume 2 really digs into that, and it's pretty epic. It's, it's really beautiful, and that's how you get this sort of movement in, Christ, in Christianity the movemental potential of, of the Christian faith that um, that is just impossible if you have the mindset of, well, I need a, a PhD or some sort of Bible degree in order to be a leader or in order to impact or in order to share, or I need to have an official position within an organization before I can really forward, you know, the, the mission of the gospel. Right. Which it's, it's, it's almost like there's all this stuff going on in our culture now where people want to get grouped and this is what you are and you're this group or this group, but it's almost like there's nuance in the fact that someone like yourself could get a master's in divinity Mm -hmm. and go to school for a while and God can use them. And then there's a goof nut like me who has, you know, I I never even got a bachelor's and yet I'm, I'm seeing people get their lives transformed from suicide and depression to freedom without any kind of counseling degrees or master's in divinity degree. So there needs, to, there's a nuance for both. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, Keegan, the way that you have expressed the, the, the things that God has called you into. And I think, I think you can have all the, the knowledge and the gifting that, that you can handle in Bible. We are so over-resourced as the American church. We have more resources of, of content. I mean, we can content consume all day, books, podcasts, movies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but our churches are, are still stagnant. I am not an anti-intellectual. Um, I believe strongly that, that we need to be learning as Christians mm-hmm. um, and that the academy is important for faith, but it's not, it's not the end. And, um, and, and that's obvious when you, when you look at, when I see myself at times and then other pastors who've been trained who struggle to love God, who struggle to love other people. And then there's a whole crop. I mean, Keegan, like the first time I met you, uh, you were talking about the the person that God asked you to evangelize as you were driving down the road to share to share faith with. You saw this woman on the side of the road, and you turned around and stopped and prayed for her, and she was crying and you were crying. And just being out with you, there's you love God and you love people, and there's something about the action of your faith as you just step into that. That it's not about education. It's not about um, it, it's it's not about any of these markers that maybe the the church has traditionally said you need to have these in order to lead. It's about faithfulness, and God has met you in in faith, and has has blessed your obedience. And it's like you can't replace a love for God and love for people in ministry. We try to with education. Um, we elevate uh, people who have hit these certain markers, um, but God's you see God's potential in your life through faithfulness. You see God's potential in your life as you love love Him and love other people, and there's no replacing that. There's no education. There's no training. There's no um, position in a church that replaces that in someone's life. And like you have that, and so many people in the city um, have that, and they just need to be blessed and uh, and equipped and sent. Right. So you went to Asbury Seminary, mm-hmm. which I mean I've met some amazing people that have gone in and out there. And you've also went to Mozambique. I'm curious. And that was with Heidi Baker. I'm curious to what, I know there's two different paradigms, but you know, you're in the seminary and you're also in Mozambique. What, what can contrast between going to um, a country like Mozambique and what you learned and received from there doing ministry with Heidi Baker, who Mm -hmm. literally goes into villages and asked for the deaf and the blind, and <laughs> they get healed, and then she tells them about Jesus. Yeah, versus a, a you know a Methodist seminary. Well, both are beautiful, right? Yeah, and there is a, a balance between both. My experience in the church when I went to Mozambique, I'd been in full time ministry for five years, and I went burned out. You know, I'd probably been pastoring, ministering, and this is why I say you can't replace a love for God and love for people in your life. Um, pastors try to do it all the time. A lot of times, ministry can be an outlet for ego. It can be an outlet for trying to build your affluence and your influence. And I think that I'd been in that place, unknowingly and unintentionally, but I'd been there. So when I went to Africa in Mozambique, Mozambique, top five poorest country in the world, the mission organization that I went to was uh, was on fire. What they were seeing there was a move of God so powerful that was shifting culture. And it was built on prayer. It was built, they were planting churches every weekend praying and worshiping nonstop. They were training up hundreds of indigenous local leaders and and they were feeding the poor. They were praying for healing consistently. 
uh, when prayer didn't work, they provided uh, they provided medical assistance. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about uh, the phrase "prayer didn't work," so maybe uh, we can delete that. Uh, but well, I mean, when, when you're not seeing what you're expecting to yeah. see, that, I mean, that happens. It's not like a yeah, that's true. So when I saw that, now the difference was, um, you know, I was used to a a plan and grind and strive ministry here in here in America. What I saw there was was presence based nonstop prayer and worship. They gave more than I knew was humanly possible. The awakening that was happening was on the truly on the backs of people who are giving their lives away joyfully, uh, joyful obedience to God. There, there was no chance that most of those people would ever be known. Um, they were living, uh, they were living, you know, some of them hungry, uh, a lot of them in bad or poor living conditions. And what, they were what God was doing there was was nothing short of revival, was nothing short of awakening, and I looked at that, and I think it would be easy to say, which a lot of us do with the with the global church is that's good for them. And what I saw and tasted there, I I, I thought there is a ministry for model, or there is a model for ministry that I can give my life to, not that's good for there, but how can we how can we have that here? A ministry from the overflow of the presence of God, leaning into the supernatural uh, power of the Holy Spirit, um, and being motivated by love. I think that's a key thing. Is it's just this almost like it's almost this breathing exercise. Faith was um, for that group of people where they breathe in the love for God, worship, adoration, prayer, experience with God. It was like breathing it in, and then the ministry was like the exhale of the breath. Yeah. It's like. I'm going and giving my li- my my life away uh, because I'm so in love with God. I'm so in love with His purposes. I'm so in love with His people. It wasn't about building programs, building budgets, affluence, and influence. It was about I love God so much that I'm compelled. I've, I have a security in the love of God, knowing that nothing else will be better in my life. I'm so compelled by this love to go and to give my life away. Yeah. Yeah, and compelled by love, it's. I think you consider it a documentary about Heidi and Roland Baker. I remember something that was really. It, I mean, it's an epic thing to watch, but like, yeah, I was really moved by the fact that, and and I've done life ministry with people where it's like they they are part of your deal. It's not like, oh, you go meet them at Starbucks once a month and that's mm-hmm. all you do. But like Heidi had all these local kids and they would be just rummaging through her house and like (laughs) just pounding Cokes out of the fridge. And she loved it. Like she wasn't like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, there was this freedom of as if they were her own kids. Yeah. Yeah. When the goal of your life flips from, from I'm, I'm achieving comfort to I am loving other people. Then the rules and the values of how you live change. You are released at that point to love. You know, when your your goal goes from comfort to giving your life away, you're releasing that. Now, I think you're able to make that pivot and that shift through experience with the love of God. You know, there has to be something that is is better and deeper than comfort. God can't be a theory to you anymore. Um, Christianity can't be a life philosophy. It can't be a moral code. God really has to appear in your life in the person of Jesus not as someone who just historically died and rose again, 
but someone that you know loves you, that cares for you, that fulfills your your desires in a deeper way than anything else that you've experienced or have known up to that point in your life. It really requires you to experience the living God before you can make that pivot. And But Heidi's someone, I mean, she looks wonky. I mean, to us, she looks like totally off a rocker, totally out of her skull. Yeah, but, she still has how many PhDs? Like, isn't she like extremely yeah. educated? Yeah, she has a she has a PhD in systematic theology. Yeah, and um, and she basically lives in the dirt with yeah. the the poor Mozambique. But but there's something, you know, people are not gen generally inspired by uh, the brightest and the gifted and um, the most affluent of Christian church leaders. Right. There's something compelling about about Heidi's life, about the story of the martyr, the person who's been so touched by the love of God that they're willing to give their life away. You know, those are the stories that wreck me. You know, whether they're someone like Heidi or someone like intercessors here in town that I know are praying right. six hours a day, and they're seeing, you know, the workers that they work with at AutoZone come to faith. There's, there's something about I those. I know who you're talking about, and I love that. <laughs> there's something about those stories and those people that I think that's it. Like, that's something, that's a picture of faith that, that I want to try and live into. So how does, how do you feel like Arise will play into awakening and revival? Well, I, I hope it does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't plan that type of thing. Right. You don't orchestrate it. I think the temptation for us is to say, okay, we're going to come to put together some kind of equation. You know, we're so, we're used we're used to being able to ma manipulate the world in a way that um, that we can kind of get what we want out of it. I think that's what's so frustrating about the pandemic is like is is it's out of our control. We can't just uh, science our way out of out of the pandemic. You know, there's something imposed upon us that has forced us to kind of tailor our lives to it. I think that's frustrating for us. We're, we're used, to, and I think we take that same philosophy to God. It's just like, well, you know, if we run house churches and we pray real hard and we disciple people, then historically that's been the ingredients for renewal and revival and around the world today. Yeah. That's the same thing. And it doesn't work that way. Um, I'm hoping that we're a part of, um, a part of a larger group of people who are just hearing the voice of God and trying to be faithful, um, who are surveying culture and saying, we're not content with the status quo. Uh, really kind of a larger group of, of people in the American church with prophetic voices who see the difference between what God has called us to be and what we currently are as a church and are just filling that gap. Um, I'm hoping that we could do things like start house churches in you know the 10 largest ur urban centers in Kentucky or do things like we're we're going to start house churches in the 10 largest uh, college campuses in the state do things like that um, so i'm i'm hoping that there's sort of kind of a, a movemental potential where what we're doing here in Lexington is easily translated in training house church leaders um, but i think I think the goal is with this is is faithfulness, um, and I would hope that we and I know that we're not alone in this journey of pursuing the next move of God for our city, for our state, for our country. 
Um, but I'm I'm hoping that that our that we can contribute. Yeah, and the beauty of this is, I've been I feel like my spirit has been drawn to house church environment, and I've been honestly been a Christian since 2006. It was it was at a bigger church. Love that church, um, but I grew because I was in small groups in house settings. Mm-hmm. And it, I've always had a desire for that. And when I got to do it for a few months with, with the church that we were part of, I was like, man, this is it. Yeah. You know, it was exhausting because yeah. I was like leading worship and preaching half the time. And Dre was watching <laughs> the kids and it just got crazy working a normal job and having a baby. But I'm like, this is what it's supposed to be. And then now me and Dre are moving to where our friends are planting a house yeah. church. And in the state that is the least street state, in the nation, in the least reached county in that state. Wow. And so they're already Amazing. there. Like they, they've, they've started a house church without us saying anything to them, Yeah, which is where our hearts are at. So it's like, it's almost like we're your first arise missionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, and it's amazing. And, and you know, the, the cool thing about something like house church. So there's been this shift towards, towards sort of digital church of, okay, let's make our church experience not come and watch for an hour on a Sunday together, but watch in your home for an hour at your convenience during the week. I think that there's a, a renewing, a redeemable quality of digital communication in house church, whereas we can be connected with you all. Like if you all wanted to do training with, with Arise, we could do that. We could yeah. do that um, face-to-face, even though it's not in person through through stuff like Zoom. Right. And um, and so I think the, the even the national and global connectivity of house church movements or of church movements in general. There's such an amazing gospel potential in all of that. And uh, I'm so excited for you to get to go out and be a part of that in Portland. There's, I'm a little, I'm a little jealous because it it really feels like you're going to go in and you're going to grill a warfare. uh, And like your weapon is love. That's, that's how I kind of feel about you, Dre. Yeah. Which it might be Portland eventually, but right now it'll be Port Orchard. Oh, 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 yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah I'm, so I'm Oregon. Offended. Very angry. Yeah, well, when you're from Kentucky, every um, everyone who lives in Oregon is from Portland, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Portland is really cool. I like Portland. Yeah. So, as, as we're talking, I'm like, man, I should have I should have three mics and not two, and we should have Maddie in here, because I feel like Maddie is is such an integral part of this, too. Like, it, I don't know where this would be yeah. without her. Maddie, for those who don't know, is Austin's wife, Yeah. and she's freaking fire starter wild woman <laughs> looks like barbie <laughs> yeah i definitely lucked out there's no doubt that she's she's the better half there's i couldn't have pursued this we we couldn't have pursued this without each other but definitely i wouldn't be leaning into this um without her every step along the way where i've i've pondered the question have we sacrificed too much and, and I know that sounds self-righteous, but I mean, really, you come to those points because we're not fitting a system. This isn't, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money in house church. Um, there's no guarantee of success. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's really kind of a risky time to be moving into these these types of things. And there have been many times along our faith journey where I've said, is, is the risk too much? Should we step out? Should I pursue something other than ministry? And every step along the way, Maddie has continued to 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 point us forward and say, "No, we're called to this. No, we're called to this. No, we're called to this." I trust That's you, awesome. but even more so, I trust God. So I always tell people, "I have, you know, I have the education, but Maddie has the anointing." That's awesome. <laughs> it's really true. It's really true. Um, she 
is such a leader and has such a, a, a deep heart for God and um, so many gifts and, and talents. I mean, it's just impossible to, to think about doing something like this without her. Yeah. How has this grown you two going through yeah. this together? Because, I mean, it's not typically it's like, oh, well, there's a guy, he's a pastor and she's yeah. at home or she's a pastor and he, I've seen both. Yeah. Well, it's forced us to, um, to work out kind of our rough edges together in some ways. Um, we're figuring out how we work together as a puzzle, you yeah. know, just how we, how we fit together. And it, it hasn't been without, uh, tears. It hasn't been without, you know, arguments, um, and disagreements. Um, but it's come through a lot of conversation and it's come through a lot of, um, it's come through a lot of forgiveness. It's come through a lot of prayer and self-discovery and, and helping us realize what what each other are gifted for um, and how we can complement each other. So Maddie and I are both very independent ourselves. Uh, I think Maddie has a very strong sort of apostolic gifting. And when I say that, I basically mean she's an entrepreneur. She's grown her business yeah. you know, to over 100 weddings a year in, in just four or five years. Uh, she does wedding hair. She has a team of, of girls or young women that work for her. And so she's, she has this very entrepreneurial, very independent, very um, forward-thinking and uh, aggressive in, in achieving her goals sort of side to her, and I have that as well. So it's been, uh, it's been a back and forth of, of learning how do we point ourselves in the same direction and give each other lanes to run in. Um, and I think we're discovering that. I think I'm realizing that for myself, I'm good with big picture vision, vision casting, um, good for things like teaching and discipling and for leading prayer meetings. And Maddie's also a very good teacher, but she's a very good executor. And she understands when it comes to ministry of the spirit, can I share one story? Yeah, for sure. So we, we did that prayer and worship tour last summer. And the first stop was one of the bigger stops. We were at a church in Huntsville, Alabama, and we were going into leading ministry time. And I remember it was probably 700 to 1,000 people in that room. We'd never done an event like this before, Maddie or I. You know, we had led through facilitating, you know, the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit and helping people lead people into encountering experience with Jesus before, but only in our bedroom for the most part, or not our bedroom, <laughs> our living room for the most part. And so we get to this this point um, at this first stop, and I remember I, I got up and I I had said something, and then Maddie was supposed to lean into ministry time, and I shared a little bit, and then I got down, and I went to turn to Maddie to ask her, did I do a good job? And her head was between her legs, and <laughs> she was in the seat, about about ready to go up. There was a song in between my part and her part, and she was just, she was with God. I could tell, okay, she's she's in the zone with God, and she, she goes up on the stage, and she, after the song, and she begins... Um, she begins praying, and I remember she asked questions uh, that were really, really dangerous in the moment. She asked, are there any women in here who are struggling with depression? Are there any women in here who are struggling with suicidal thoughts? I feel like the Lord's wanting to address those. And I remember thinking, we're in Huntsville, Alabama. Everyone here probably knows each other. This is, you know, cult cultural Christianity, you know, still reigns in, in, pl in places like Huntsville, We'll see if people are humble enough to to kind of admit to this, and sure enough, people start popping up from from all over um, the crowd, and people just start praying for each other, and tears and families. You can tell it's just a powerful time. 
And she just starts rolling in that. And that is probably 20 to 30 minutes of yeah. just tear-filled prayer from all over the room. And when it was over, I was like, I was like, Maddie, that, that was so, so amazing. Like what, you know, what happened there? And she said, well, you took what I was going to say. She had something planned. Oh. Yeah. And so whatever I said before, she's like, you, you had taken exactly like almost to the word of what I was going to lean into. She said, so the entire, during that entire song, uh, she said, I was just praying. I was just praying, God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And it came up and, and God did something uh, beautiful in that moment. And so for Maddie, there's just a fearlessness about her. There's a, a faithfulness about her, um, a courage uh, to just say the things that God is asking her to say, to go to the places God is asking her to go to. And I've just seen, um, I've just seen God glorified. I've seen the, the presence of Jesus show up so many times as a result of her um, humility and her courage has just really inv- invited and set the stage for God to be God. And that moment to me, uh, just stands out. I was I was just so uh, amazed and impressed with how God, how Maddie uh, was courageous in that moment. Yeah, Maddie's a beast. Yeah. So um, I think some people who are listening to this have already heard this story, but I just love it and it's just really cool. So can you share about how Max and Lily and you guys connected? Yeah. From that just wild interaction. Yeah. So Max and Lily are a couple that. Uh, are helping us start the church. So, man, it's it's been it's been a wild couple of years with them. We've known them. Maddie's Maddie's known them for a decade. I've known them for probably five or six years. They lived in apartments in the apartment next to ours um, as of three years ago. And when Maddie and I went on our journey to London and England, they at the same time, so they were two apartments away, went on a journey to Los Angeles. Maddie and I were asking the question, what is what does successful church look like in a post-Christian, post-modern world? What does it look like to steward a move of God? That's what we were exploring. Max and Lily knew that they were called to Los Angeles. They didn't know what that looked like. So we went and connected with a number of pastors in England. They went and were on a church search. So we're going to move to Los Angeles. What church is God calling us to be part of? Someone in a coffee shop in Los Angeles overheard them talking about looking for a church. This person was on staff at Garden church which is uh darren i'm gonna butcher his last name uh ruanzen ruanzoin uh his church in los angeles and so this person whoever hears their conversation at a coffee shop invites them to come to garden church they go to garden church uh they they really connect with the staff person they come back to our apartments saying we're moving out to be part of garden church um we are in england we're in Oxford. We're meeting with a man named Simon Ponsonby, who's a professor, a theologian, and teacher at a local church in Oxford. And he's like, you guys share a heart with a certain group of pastors. So he puts us on an email thread with, with these like-minded, like-hearted pastors, and Darren's one of them. And so we both come back to the Clay Apartments, having connected with the same network of people. We're in England. They're in Garden mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. We come back connecting with the exact same group of people on the same week. They end up moving out to Los Angeles for two years. And Maddie and I begin feeling this call into deep community. We feel like this is going to be a marker for us, family-like community. I I start writing this book. So in the, the couple of years that we're gone, I'm writing a book. 
And we end up saying, we feel like we're called to plant a church and it's supposed to be in the homes. Max and Lily go right as Garden's leading into home church model. So they spent two years. So like Garden's brought in people like Francis Chan was, you know, letters to the church. He's been um, a real advocate of the home church movement. And and so they, they were leaning into home church. Max and Lily began leading with them over the course of a couple of years. It's almost like, um, it's almost, yeah, it's, it's just been crazy. So we tell them we're planting. We want to start in the homes. And Max and Lily say, we think God's calling us to do this with you. So they move across the country. And it's it's just wild the way god works that we god were would... in an email thread where it was like you guys were all it was they were attached in the same same email thread that you guys were attached to yeah which is just crazy it's crazy and that it's all sort of pointed into house church they're leading house church you know at the time where we're going out to these different locations london and los angeles house church isn't on either of our minds but over the course of a couple of years it's like this is what we're called to you know i write this book on community we're going to start in church in the home Max and Lily spent a couple of years, you know, working at basically a Francis Chan model house church with Garden as they lean into that. And so they bring the experience we, we need. We're bringing a passion and, and hopefully an anointing for it. And so there's this pairing. It's like God sent us to the ends of the earth yeah. to come and bring this back to Lexington, Kentucky. It's wild. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd want to share? Um. Well, thanks for, you know, doing the interview and, um, it's been, it's been a ton of fun. You know, I think, I think the last thing that I would want to share is that, um, is that house church and, and a lot of the conversations, what we're talking about are, are ideals, um, empowerment in the home, ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about the supernatural ministry, family-like community, um, move, movemental potential of the church. And a lot of those things are ideals. I think within the next few months, we're going to realize uh, the difference between reality and ideals. You know, hopefully not. I think we'll see in part what we hope, hope to see happen, but I don't think it'll be in, in full. Uh, not yet. There's going to be some, some tough realities about what doing life with people actually looks like. Yeah. You know, the real sort of uh, gruff reality uh, tough realities of of forgiveness and repentance and service and humble submission um fervent prayer um the real travail of of prayer and of building a, a kingdom lifestyle with other people um yeah we're talking a lot of ideals today and i also realized that um that's going to take god to achieve any of the things that we've talked about and that it's going to take perseverance. So I'm excited about the journey ahead. We're going to get going with house churches at the end of August or beginning of September. Um, and at that point, I'm going to be done talking uh, ideals and painting a picture of what church could be. And there's going to be a reality of what it is. And, uh, and I'm hoping that the difference in those things doesn't throw people off. So I think that's what I'll, what I'll end with is just arise and the people who are apart from the beginning they're just going to be on a journey. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take faithfulness. It's, it's going to take a lot of prayer. And if it's going to be anything like what we hope it to be, it's going to take, um, it's going to take the, the glory and the supernatural uh, presence and, and blessing grace of God. So I'm excited. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun road ahead. And um, I'm just, 
I don't know. I'm I don't know what to expect entirely, but I'm I'm anticipating um, that we're going to see God do some really cool things. Yeah, and one thing just came to mind that I thought was really just another sign that God's just moving with the timing of everything is on Pentecost weekend. We're all together here at this building and mm-hmm. we're praying and worshiping. And then that Sunday night was when yeah. the first big protest happened in downtown Lexington. And I remember we spent that night praying. And <clears throat> if you want to share about that, that, yeah. that was really unique. Yeah, that was a really cool time. So when Maddie and I and, and many others really just came to the point that we were like, we think God's asking us to start a church. So let's all get together and pray about this. And that was Pentecost weekend was when we decided to do that. Let's bring the initial group of people together uh, on the birthday of the church to per, to seek God, the weekend of the birthday of the church to seek God for the start of this church. So that's what we did. So Pentecost weekend of this year, all throughout this pandemic, we've been talking about, well, God moves an awakening revival right before cultural change, times of major cultural change and chaos, and right after. So that's been something that we've just continued talking about is, is actually the pandemic is the perfect time because we know that God's going to do something new out of this time of chaos. We knew that we couldn't 100% predict what that was going to be. And I, I still don't think we can to its, its fullest extent. But we know that God has plans and purposes that are going to work out as a result of the pandemic. But I think during Pentecost weekend, it became clear that was, I think, one week or two weeks after the the George Floyd video hit. And the the protests began to start and they began to, to heat up and to pick up. And Pentecost weekend was the fever pitch mm-hmm. of um, racial tension and protests around the country. And so we went into that weekend asking God, God, what are you doing in our world and in the church? And really out of the, out of the pandemic, I think people being at home and things like the George Floyd video hitting and going viral, there is a heart cry and a pain of burden and disease that needed to be addressed in our society. And so it became clear to us that God was saying, okay, in this pandemic, I'm highlighting racial reconciliation, um, diversity, the care for the marginalized and the oppressed, justice as a major theme of what I'm going to do out of this renewal. And certainly, you know, not everything that has gotten lumped into the protests are, are things that, that necessarily I, I agree with or, or endorse, endorse, but the need for repentance from the church yeah. around issues of injustice, um, the need for repentance of the traditionally evangelical church when it comes to, um, like, exclusion or turning a blind eye to the realities of black people in America— um, those are things that we ended up feeling like we needed to address that weekend. So, th- so talk about ripping a bandit off. Here's a group of people who are saying we want to plant a church together yeah. on, on that weekend, um, praying and worshiping. We're saying we want to lean into renewal for the church. And then all of a sudden, really over the course of those three days, it, those protests crescendoed. Yeah. And we didn't know each other very well, but we just got into the mix of conversation and prayer and repentance around these issues because it's like, okay, we don't know entirely what to expect for renewal, but it's clear that God is doing this in this moment. And so on Pentecost Day, the historical celebration of the birthday of the church, the first Sunday gathering that we had as kind of an initial Arise community, we ended up going to be a part of the largest protests for uh, 
justice around race that the country has seen in 60 years. Yeah. That Sunday was the apex. It was the crescendo. Yeah. It's wild. And it's like, God, if this is what you're doing, we're going there. Yeah. Yeah. How, how was that for you? Was that un- unnerving? I know you were a part of that. For me, it was certainly not, not the most comfortable maneuver that I've, that I've ever made. I don't know that I'd ever anticipated starting a church in that fashion. Right. Um, yeah. And I know you and Maddie went down to the protest on your bikes and I was like, well, we got Cairo, we got a baby with us. And it's mm-hmm. like, but we wanted to go and just like see what, what, what's going on and, and just encourage and, and then, but it was like, also I'd seen on TV, other protests where people are getting shot and crazy stuff. I'm like, do I yeah. want to bring my kid down to this? But at the same time, I just wanted to be a part of what was going on and just really engage. But I remember they were at Triangle Park and I was like, Dre, you, you and Kyra stay in the car. We're going to go run down here and see. And by that time they, there's this big mob, not mob, just a big yeah. group of people going around the corner. And I was like, is it peaceful here? Is it not? Cause, mm-hmm. and it was super it was great. Like it was really peaceful and stuff. But yeah. I, I, I was like, do I need to go protect my, my, yeah. my kid? But it, it was really cool yeah. just to be, be there and be around it. And, totally. Yeah. And walk, but totally. It was a, it was a pivotal moment. I, I don't think you can talk about renewal and, and think, Hey guys, and, and to, to try and sell to a group of people, we want to be a part of whatever renewal looks like coming out of pandemic, which is what we talked about for the last, for the two days leading up to that point and then realize because things built going into that weekend, there was no telling that that was going to happen. So things built over the course of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you can't talk about renewal yeah, and seeing the purposes of God come about in your society and then have the largest, you know, protest and not, not throw in. It's like, we need to learn to care about these things. So that's really opened, yeah. opened my eyes of, okay, it's going to be very important for us to champion um, to, to champion, um, African-Americans, you know, as a church, um, we, we need to, to pay attention to, to issues of justice. And that really contributed to the name arise. It comes from Ephesians five fourteen: awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Awakening being the end goal or the hope for the church. But we feel like arise was a good name because we're rising out of pandemic we're arising uh, for a vision of what church could be. We're arising in hope to see God do something beyond our capability. But then the first weekend that we met together, we we rose to let our voices be heard for for justice. Yeah. We rose to let our voices be heard for the African-American community. So yeah, there's a lot that the church needs to rise to meet the challenge of this moment. And I think justice and equality is one of those issues. Yeah, it's good. Got one last question, and we'll wrap it up. Yeah. You had mentioned, um, I, I, is John Tyson? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I watch boxing, so I'm like Mike Tyson in my head. A <laughs> um, little you, bit of a different voice. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned that he told you and Maddie that you were not too young, but too old. So with that in your mind, what would you tell your 20-year-old or 18-year-old self knowing what you know now. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of my pastoral advice over the years has really just grown into trust God and pray. Trust trust God and pray. I think that the last 
little over a decade of, of my life has just been a, a series of events that have made me anxious. You know, um, will I find a spouse that I love? Will I find a job that I love? Will I find a path in ministry that seems to fit? Um, will I ever be financially stable? Um, I think if I could go back and give advice to my younger self, it would be, um, it would be to, to pray and to find security in the plans and purposes that Jesus has, um, to realize that the good things that are going to come up from my life are not a result of my sufficiency, but God's sufficiency. This verse from Second Corinthians, I think it's Second Corinthians 12 or 13, it says, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. I would say, accept your humanity, accept your limits, accept your weakness, and don't be anxious about those things, but trust God. Trust that God is going to, f- to fill that gap uh, between what he calls you to do and who you currently are. It's up to God. It's not up to you. And I think that that is very abstract to some people, um, but I think it becomes a reality to you personally through prayer. And so I just encourage myself to pray. So that that's that's my advice. I love it. Yeah. That's good for anybody to hear. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks, Austin. Well, and thanks, Keegan. We'll probably see you again here soon to talk about the details of House Church and what that looks like and what it is. I would love that. That'd be fun. That'd be, be awesome. Well, I had a great time. Thanks for letting me jabber on and on. And um, for those of you who can't see, which would be everybody, we are currently in a hidden speakeasy in Keegan's home. So I'm going to take a picture. Yeah. It's a... It's a cool room. So, Keegan, thanks for letting me hang out in the speakeasy. And um, looking forward to chatting again. Yes, sir. Oh, you look nice right there. Thanks for tuning in to Off the Deep End with Keegan Weatherford. We hope you enjoyed this podcast this week with Austin Wofford about house church and that you'll tune in next time to see what we got coming down the pipe.